Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was Friday, about three o'clock in the afternoon. And it was the Friday before Christmas break. And I remember sitting in science. There was nothing to do. Because what can you teach a kid at three o'clock on a Friday on any day, let alone the Friday before Christmas break? And I remember just anxiously waiting for that clock to get to 315 when my school let out. Newton Middle School, home of the mighty nights. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to get out. I couldn't wait to leave. I couldn't wait to run home. I couldn't wait to be free of this place for two weeks. And on top of it, we were going to granddad's house. Granddad's house was in Fruta, Colorado. And this was an adventure. Because granddad lived on a farm. Yeah, I know. That's old hat for you all. But for a kid growing up in Littleton, in the suburbs of Denver, to get to go hang out on granddad's farm, to go and the first noises you hear are the cattle lowing. I think that's what that sounds like. I sang it a lot of times, but I'm pretty sure that's what it sounds like. One of those experiences where you get there and you've got the cattle and they're up close to the house. They're in the barnyard because granddad's trying to fatten them up. And the opportunity to wake up early with granddad to go out and to stoke the coal fire because that's how granddad still heats his home. To get up, to stoke those fires, to feed that furnace, and then to spend the day with granddad in the old Ford pickup, driving around. As he's smoking his pipe. You know that smell of pipe smoke that only some granddads smell like? And to ride around in the truck, breathing in secondhand smoke, because we didn't know that was bad back then. <laughs> Without seat belts, because we didn't know that was bad either. And checking on stuff, but with granddad. And, and it was like Christmas had already come early because we were at granddad's house. Sleeping on the floor. Eating grandma's cooking. Oh, but it was still going to be topped because in a few days it's Christmas. In a few days, all those packages that are sparkly and wonderful looking and, and sound great when you shake them. In a few days, we'd know what they were. But for now, we had to wait because it's only three o'clock on Friday. 
And a lot of life feels like 3 o'clock on Friday before Christmas break. A lot of life, we're just stuck waiting. And historically, that's been the, the practice, the focus of the Advent season. We've been in Advent. You may or may not know that. That's an Advent wreath. And the whole purpose of the season of Advent is, is to be a season of longing, of expectation, of pining. Isn't that a good word? Pining. And we sing songs like, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We haven't sang in a few weeks. I guess I got tired of waiting. Don't you get tired of waiting? Oh, we cranked up the joy a little bit today because we're just on that precipice, aren't we? We're on that edge. I mean, kids, we're right close, aren't we? But still, it's 3 o'clock Friday. I mean, metaphorically speaking, can't you feel it? That it's 3 o'clock Friday? Uh, there's still much waiting ahead of us. There are still loved ones who are sick and dying. Uh, there are still those bills that are stacking up. And you're adding to them. There's still those holiday pounds to shed come January 1. There's still all this waiting, longing, pining. I came across an article just the past few days. It was called Always Advent, Never Christmas. And could you imagine a world where it was always Advent, always a season of waiting and longing and pining and never, ever Christmas? I think that's what atheists must feel like. Because a hardcore atheist, I mean, a true atheist believes that this world's it. And when you die, you die and you cease to exist. Just everything ceases to exist. It, it just goes to nothing. And that, to me, feels like always Advent, never Christmas. I mean, that's what it would feel like to just wait until you die <laughs> to be nothing. But the Christian hope... The Christian hope, the hope of Advent is that the waiting, the longing, the pining is there for a reason. And it shall end. Now, in our culture nowadays, we have started to, I and mean, this has been happening ever since I was a kid, uh, Christmas has become extremely commercialized. Anybody notice? I mean, even Mercedes-Benz has gotten in on the act. I have yet to receive that. It's on the top of my list every Christmas. I guess I've been bad. Of course, the bad people get the red Mercedes, so I guess that works out for me, right? There's all this commercialization around Christmas. And it feels like Christmas is, is getting 
ratcheted up further and further back because it helps the bottom line so much in business, in American economics. I mean, no wonder that the, my friend who works at Toys R Us, their biggest month of the year, just guess, wild, crazy guess, December. I mean, their fourth quarter, they don't even have to work the other three quarters of the year at Toys R Us because they know all of us lemmings will dutifully show up in December and buy stuff. They just know it's going to happen. And so Rick doesn't work three quarters of the year. And he was an amazing volunteer with our youth ministry because of that. We just lost him for a few weeks at Christmas, but we lost everybody at Christmas because they're all with their families. Rick was just at work. The rest of the year, Rick could hang out with us and our kids because Christmas was coming and it was commercialized. And I think as you look at the church's response to this, there is a growing interest, a, a growing awareness of this practice of Advent. Over the last few years, I've been fasting during the Advent season. Now, before you freak out and think, boy, he hasn't eaten in four weeks. He must be about dead. I eat, but I choose not to eat certain things. Sugar, meat, yeast. So all bread's out. Um, And there's another thing, and I can't remember. Dairy. And a lot of people are like, what's left, you know? And... The reason I started doing this was because I found by the time Christmas Eve rolled around, I was so tired of Christmas. I was so sick of it. (laughs) And as a pastor, that's not very helpful. Because I found that for the four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, I had been hanging out in the part of the Bible that talks about Christmas. And by the way, there is not a lot of info in there. I mean, you start reaching when you know you're thinking about preaching on the nativity scene from the donkey's point of view, <laughs> right? I mean, what? It's like I preached Joseph, I've preached Mary, maybe baby Jesus has something going on. We need to look at what he thinks. I mean, what are the angels doing? I mean, you can only hang out in Luke chapter 2 so long. And the prophets, don't get me started on the prophets. I like the prophets, but you guys don't. Because it's a lot of work. The prophets are weird. And so I have to work really hard to preach the prophets. And at Christmas, why are we reading about all this stuff about what God's going to do for Israel? Why are we reading about all these things like in the song, O Come and Come Emmanuel and Ransom Captive Israel? What? It's about a baby getting born in a stable with donkeys and sheep and, you know, wise guys showing up and stars. That's what it's about. What is this about ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the son of God appear? Or the next line, oh, come thou rod of Jesse. Huh? What? Oh, come thou day spring, come and cheer. Oh, come thou king of David. Key of David, not king of David. Of David, key of David. I mean, preaching the 
the, the O come, O come, Emmanuel is hard because it's referencing prophets, which I just told you is hard. And so I found myself where I was like, I don't even want to go on Christmas Eve. So I'm so tired of it. I just wanted to be at home next to a Yule log, having some eggnog. And I guess it's one of the occupational hazards I have. And so I started fasting and I started to find out that it's valuable to wait. I even changed my playlists on uh, Spotify and Pandora and all that stuff. I started listening to longing, pining music. I started listening to music that's Advent music rather than Christmas music. And I was saving Christmas for Christmas. And I started to listen to Advent during Advent. And it changed it for me. But by this Sunday, I'm tired of Advent. I'm tired of fasting. I had a banana for breakfast and a cup of water. I'm ready to eat some fudge, eggnog. An omelet sounds really great. Ham, which is what we're having Christmas Day. And imagine if my experience was always Advent, never Christmas. <laughs> now, before you drop 50 pounds on me in your mind, that would be one of the consequences. But I think I would be bummed out a lot. Because if you're always longing and pining for something that you're not sure is coming, that's tough to do. We need hope. Now, what I want to talk to you today about is this idea of the Christmas season. Now, when I say Christmas season, I don't want you to instantly think Target and Walmart Christmas season, Halloween to Christmas Day, and then the sales right after. You see, I want to enter back into when I was in middle school and the waiting and longing and then Christmas Day happened. Because I grew up in a tradition that didn't celebrate the Christmas season. We had the Christmas season. Now, see my motions here? This is the commercial Christmas season, Halloween to Christmas. This is the church Christmas season. Christmas Eve at sundown to January 6th. The 12 days of Christmas. You've sang the song. Did you know what it was about? You see, I grew up in a church that didn't have a Christmas season. We had a Christmas day, and the next day we went and we spent all the money we got and the gift cards, and we took stuff back that didn't fit and we didn't like, and we, waste, we, we wore ourselves out at the mall fighting people. And I always remember feeling a tad bit of dread coming over me on Christmas afternoon. Because it was over. All that waiting for 10 hours of opening packages and eating. But it was over. And what I found is that when I wait well, 
When I fast well, I party well. When I fast well, I feast well. And I think one of the things that's going on in American culture is we go from feast to feast to feast to feast. And one of the rhythms that you see that God even set up with the ancient Israelites was fast, feast, fast, feast. In fact, there's a story at the beginning of the book of Mark, and it's not even a Christmas thing. So don't try to link it to Christmas because, like I said, I didn't want to talk about the donkey's perspective. Mark chapter 2. It's towards the beginning, so it's kind of early in Jesus' ministry, so it kind of counts, right? And one of the things that goes on in church world is I think a lot of people are confused with Advent because we're sitting around waiting for Jesus to be born, but he's already been born, so we're looking back at that. So what are we waiting for? Well, we're waiting for Jesus to come back the second time. Okay, I can get on board with that, but there's still Christmas, so what do I do? Well, you wait. Now, Jesus in Mark chapter 2, verse 18, he's questioned about fasting. And it's an interesting discussion that he has. Now, John's disciples, John the Baptist is the guy that they're referencing there. John had some disciples that were hanging out with him. And they were on board with John's teachings. And the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders in Jesus' day, were fasting. Now, when they would fast, uh, the reason was because there was some, either it was a somber uh, remembrance of something that had happened in Israel's experience. So back when the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, they would fast on that day. And some would fast during a season of mourning the loss of the temple and their exile into Babylon. And, that, and there's many times that the Hebrews would fast. In this particular time, both John's disciples and the Pharisees are fasting. This is a religious fast. This is an important time for fasting. And Jesus is a religious guy. So they do this with Jesus because they notice he's eating a Big Mac. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Your, your followers aren't fasting, Jesus, but these guys are fasting. What's up with that? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? <laughs> the implied answer is, well, they can't. Did you hear the implied answer? You can kind of hear it, the answer. How can... The guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them. In our day and age, we drop the, the bride part of that word. We just put the groom. How can you fast at a wedding feast is what Jesus is saying. You ever been to a wedding? Like a good wedding? Good weddings make you want to be a wedding crasher. Because there's something about a good wedding that is just awesome. It's fun to see a bride who's just glowing and excited with what's going on. It is even more fun to see the spread of food. And it's free. And you can go back for seconds. And after that, they bring out a huge cake. And you can go back for seconds. I mean, 
Have you ever been on a diet at a wedding? That's a bummer. That is a waste of time. That's just don't bother. Because Jesus even said, right? This is what Jesus said. Don't fat, don't diet at a wedding. You have it in the Bible right here, right? I mean, who, who does that? They cannot so long as they have him with them. As long as they've got the groom, they can't fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. And Jesus is referencing the day he dies. The day that he is killed, when he's taken from them, then they'll fast. And beyond that, when he does his Superman thing and flies up into heaven... They'll probably fast again going, now what do we do? I mean, he's alive, but oh my gosh, he left us here. I thought about grabbing his robe, but it wasn't quick enough, you know. And then he says some strange thing. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. No one really sews patches on cloth anymore nowadays, it seems. We just go out and buy new stuff. But back in that day... Untrunk cloth on an old garment. If they do, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And people do not pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And, and this is one of those times where Jesus is talking, and, and people kind of go, huh? We were talking about fasting, and now he's talking about clothing and wine. What? And if you grew up in a church like I did, you're like, oh, Jesus is talking about wine, which he means grapefruit juice, obviously. Um, Grapefruit, grape juice (laughs) or grapefruit, but that's in Florida. Um, Have you ever tried to brew ginger ale or root beer or God forbid beer? And you have to put it in a glass container, and it's a precarious thing to do because uh, when you do this and you cap it, it can explode. Um, N.T. Wright, they, he talks about when he was a kid, they used to brew ginger beer when he was a kid. And the only safe place to keep it after they bottled it was in a coal shack behind their house. And sometimes they would go out there and they would find evidence that, yes, indeed, this is the only safe place to keep it because there would be burst bottles with its spilled contents over the coal pile. And that's the image that N.T. Wright has when he talks about new wine in old wineskins. Is that when you put this new wine into this old wineskin, it can burst. It can break it. You can ruin the wineskin and the wine. You lose both. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm doing something new. There's no category for what I'm doing. This is brand new stuff I'm doing. If you try to categorize it with your old categories, it's going to break out. It's going to be a problem. Remember what he's been saying. He's been saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that's all this longing and pining that, and waiting that's been going on. They've been longing and pining and waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And now one shows up and says, the wait is over. The party has begun. 
I'm so glad I get to break my fast on Christmas Day. And you know what I plan to do? I haven't told my wife this yet. I plan to feast for the Christmas season. Because I don't have enough self-control to go back to it the next day. I got to get it out of my system. I, 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 I've, got, I've got to party because I fasted so long. I've got to have Christmas be longer than 10 hours. Don't you? When we've waited so long, aren't you ready for a good Christmas? Aren't you ready for something that lasts and has some, has some meat to it? Pun intended. Aren't you ready for something that will last? It won't just slip out of your hands. It won't just disappear. It won't just be here one day and gone the next. Aren't you ready? And here's the dilemma that we have. This is why Advent is such a hard season, a difficult season, a strange, weird season. Because Easter is really easy to preach. Easter season, simple. Jesus risen from the dead. Bam. Good news. Party on, Wayne. Party on, Garth. But Advent, Christmas comes, we party, we feast, we have a great time. It ends. And death comes back. And longing comes back. And heartbreak comes back. And pain comes back. And tears reemerge. And diseases happen and wars break out we still are waiting and that's why advent's so frustrating and yet so necessary it's a corrective for us because having one lottery of the of the human history of world history we have a tendency to eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. Our culture is bent towards that. And the church comes in. And church history comes in. And the prophets come in. And they say, oh, but with all that eating and drinking and merriment, don't you still feel that longing and pining and waiting? You're still waiting. There's still something grossly broken with this place. It seems like we move from one catastrophe to another. And there's these in-between times that aren't so bad. That make it a little bit more bearable. And no wonder if that's our experience from moving from catastrophe to catastrophe. No wonder we eat, drink, and be merry in between. That's how we cope. That's how we deal with it. But God has a better coping strategy for you. And it's be far greater than a coping strategy. It is not coping. It is fixing. 
It is redeeming. It is correcting. As N.T. Wright says, it's putting the world to rights. And this is ultimately the hope of Christmas. You see, it's weird because on Christmas Eve, we're going to sing some Christmas carols. And most of those carols have absolutely nothing to do with the biblical Christmas carols. They have very little in common with the Advent songs we sing. Advent songs, like I read, they talk about Israel. They talk about the key of David. They talk about the king of Israel coming. And then we start to sing Christmas carols, which have everything to do with away in a manger and cattle, angels, Joseph and Mary and Bethlehem. And it's like we take all of the political ramifications out of it. And we forget the reason to celebrate. We think the reason to celebrate is because there's some baby who doesn't cry. And the reason to celebrate is because there's a king who's come. There is a king who is coming. Who will set the world right. You see, his second coming, he will come as a righteous and holy judge. And he will come and he will make all things right. This is the hope of Advent. This is the hope of Christmas. On Wednesday night when you come, on Thursday when you gather with your family, And you celebrate Christmas. Remember, it's just a foretaste of the real party. So this Christmas, wipe the sour face off. You can have it for a couple more days because it's still Advent. Christmas Eve, though. Come in smiling. Come in and enter his courts with gladness. Come in with joy in your heart. And consider this. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, if you know Christ, dwells in you. And that power can give you joy as you wait. That power can help you through every season that feels like Advent and never Christmas. That power is power from the coming King. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you that it is coming, that Jesus is coming, that there will come a day that if we are still yet alive, we will see. And if we have passed, we will see. We will see Jesus and him in all his glory returning to this earth to make all of heaven and earth new. And Lord, I pray that those who find themselves in difficult places because they are mourning the loss of a loved one, 
because they have much anxiety in their lives, because there is unknown and uncertainty and fear. I pray that each one of us would take heart and experience true joy as we await the coming King. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Come ready to party on Wednesday. Amen.